1: Hi, I'm Tanya Pinkins, and you're listening to my podcast, You Can't Say That, the podcast where you can on the Broadway Podcast Network. I don't know what day this will air, but we're recording it on March 17th in New York City. It is, I don't know, maybe 30 days, 60 days, depending on where you are in the world, into the corona pandemic. And this will be the final in house recording for the Broadway Podcast Network as we, like everyone else, are shutting down to uh, keep it safe for all of us in New York City and around the globe. So I am delighted that my guest today is this really funny person, a good person, a brilliant writer who's come to be a friend of mine. Um, Every time I I share his writing with anyone, they're like, is this guy writing for a TV series? Uh, His first drafts are like, you know, drafts after people have been working on things for five years. And... Um, the vagaries of the business, you have not heard of him because he's just too brilliant to be done. It's so, so sad about our business that sometimes the really good people, you know, the powers that be, don't want to work with them because they can't put their hands in it and make it better.
2: <laughs> so
1: join <laughs> me in welcoming my dear friend, Aww. Blaine Teamer.
2: Hi, Tanya. How are you? I am hanging in there. That's a... Interesting question that I get asked a lot. So uh, I'm evolving. That's my new answer. I am evolving. Really, I,
1: I feel like everything is evolving, and I, I choose to believe that everything is evolving towards higher levels of good, even when it doesn't look like that to us. That it is actually getting better.
2: I totally believe that, even when you cannot see it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So let's start by talking a little bit about you as a writer. Before we get onto okay. why I asked you to come on, but you know, okay. let's talk about you as a writer. Okay. Yeah, tell us about your well, your uh, you know
2: my writing. Yeah. Well, um, right now the thing that I'm really excited about is uh, I am doing trying to create my own podcast around. Uh, my theater. Are you going to
1: compete work. with my podcast? <laughs> Not at
2: all. There's room for all good things. We need more good things. <laughs> but you know, I have been um, I've been writing for a long time, and uh, I had the oppor- a couple opportunities to do um, audio recordings. Yes, so, we did uh, the so-
1: Parsnip Snip did a. You can listen on the Parsnip Ship Parsnip Ship to Deadweight, Blaine Tamer's play.
2: Correct. And then, uh, starting the beginning of this year, some friends in California, it seems like we always do something in, in New York. And then I come back to Los Angeles and I'm like, well, why can't we do that here in Los Angeles? So some because friends got together. Because you guys aren't together. as cool as we are. We are not as cool. We're on a We're on a different time zone. So it takes us longer <laughs> to, to get up to speed. Um, but, uh, some friends, we got together and, uh. We did it like old fashioned. You re recorded
1: the show that we recorded here in New York.
2: Correct, correct. Because and you it,
1: didn't like it so much here.
2: That is not true at all. And
1: I heard yeah. your new recordings, and they actually are really cool. I love what Thank you've done with it. the narration, and if you have some bits of it, you can send it to us, and we'll include it I on will, this. On on the, we'll include it that. in this this podcast because oh, I goodness. love the way you've added the sound effects, and I love the character of the narrator well, yeah, that you've it's added totally to it.
2: Different. It's totally different. It's like uh, uh, one person doing a version of a song and then someone else doing a different version of a song, but they're both great. Yeah. So it's just been really fun to kind of uh, try to do it like a traditional old radio show. It's been a lot of fun for me to to do, especially because I have this time to kind of be home and to do it uh, and take time to do it. Uh, so that is that is the big <laughs> thing that I'm really excited, which I guess will lead into what we're going to talk about. Uh, well, actually,
1: I, you know, because you were talking about the difference between LA and New York, we, mm-hmm. I have been trying to get a production of Blaine's play hashtag Box Seats done for since you wrote it. What is it, like five years ago now? And yeah, we've had wow. we've had mm-hmm. we had a reading at the National Black Theater with an incredible cast: uh, Peter Kim, Darius DeHaas. Uh, Jennifer Kim, uh, James Scruggs, and then we had a reading down at uh, Jocelyn Bio. We had a reading at New York Theater Workshop, and I mean, this play just went over like gangbusters here in New York. People were falling out of their seats, laughing. And then two years ago, we did a reading of it in Los Angeles at uh, the Jane Fonda Lily Tomlin Center, and it the the the, the Angelinos do not laugh at themselves. <laughs>
2: And, like, yeah, they didn't get it. They're like, oh, this is like, this th- is like for real. This is This, is what, this, we this is what we do. Whereas we were laughing at this. This
1: is, yeah, what, what's so funny? That's, that's our life. That's what we
2: do. <laughs> and, you know, I thought it, I thought it was going to be the exact opposite. I thought when you said that you wanted to first do it, because we first did it in Harlem.
1: Yeah, and they loved
2: and, it. And they loved it. And I was so freaked out because I'm like, they're not going to get it in Harlem. They're not going to get it in New York. They're going to hate it. I just, I don't know what I'm doing. And I was terrified. And then the response was just like, I could not believe that they thought it was so funny. Like, they got it. Yeah. And uh, I think in Los Angeles, it was just like, oh, this is just like everyday life. And they laugh at all the
1: sitcoms that are like, so for me, boring everyday life. But they were not having, they were not laughing at themselves. And I actually someone like said that, that that they found it was it was homophobic. I was like, "What? Homophobic? What?"
2: Oh, I didn't. Is that what it was? They thought it was. Some someone thought it was homophobic.
1: Someone thought it was homophobic. Right. Which was <laughs> really like I was like, "Huh?" I was like,
2: "Okay, okay." Uh, because you know, as a you know, I'm black, I'm gay, I'm I'm married, I've um, volunteered for where where it was where the reading took place. I've been a volunteer there. I've been a part of that community for. 30 years. Um, so I think I'm aware of what's going on and sensitive and involved. And so for that to be the conclusion or the, the judgment about it was kind of, I was taken aback mm-hmm. Me too, a little bit. Yeah.
1: I, I stood my ground and was like, I, I just don't
2: agree. Right. Especially because, you know, there was a, you know, it was a, Primarily a gay audience. But I think another thing, too, is that I've had to live in so many different environments.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. So I really kind of adapt my funny based upon different groups of people. So everybody is not going to get what I'm doing. And I think what was interesting about the one that we did at uh, New York Theatre Workshop was... Um, you know, it was a really tight room, and it was interesting how the laughter moved around the room. So, you know, there were I could see where there were young gay people who were getting, you know, some of the jokes. And then there were older uh, Black people who were getting other parts of the jokes. And then, so the laughter was just, like, moving around based mm. upon demographics. So it's great to have, you know, I'm really writing for a multicultural, um, audience and trying to put something in for everyone, but everyone is not going to get everything. Everything.
1: And Jim Nicola stayed awake for the whole thing. And at the end, he told you that it was comedy with content,
2: which is, I heard that's like a historical thing to have. Historical. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Jim
1: stayed awake for the whole reading and talked to us afterwards. We're waiting for that production, Jim Nicola. We're waiting for that New York (laughs) Theater Workshop production. We're waiting to become usual suspects so we can move in the pipeline to be one of those productions.
2: Well, hopefully, you know, people will hear the, um, you know, I couldn't wait forever. Um, But, you know, hopefully people can hear what I'm doing now with trying to just kind of take more control over my own work. Yeah, creativity and not waiting for someone's kind of acceptance and i think everything that i've done that um has got gotten out has happened that way like with the projects that we've done it's just been like hey let's just have fun and do this and then it's just kind of caught on amongst us and then somebody else sees it and it goes on from there.
1: Well, I, but, I find uh, that with my own creativity that I'm, I often start by asking a bunch of people to
2: come in, let's do this, let's do
1: this, and it just right. fizzles out and dies. And then if I actually <laughs> invest the time and money and get it going and do it on my own, then people will come. Yes. If you build it, people will come. But when you just people start off with the idea and ask them to come on, they don't see they the vision, see they're not coming not on.
2: <clears throat> right.
1: And then exactly. once you're on, they're willing. They're happy to tell you what's wrong with it, and then you have to hold your vision. <laughs> and go, yeah, thank you, but I got this.
2: <laughs> so one or like, of like the- why you ask? Why didn't you ask me to participate? I would have loved <laughs> to have done that. Why- like I did ask you, but you didn't. Uh, yeah, my you didn't you, you remember that.
1: Right? You didn't return my phone
2: call. You didn't answer the email.
1: I actually. With my movie, I gave it to somebody and asked them to be a producer on it, and and I we had several conversations, and they were like, well, if you can get someone else to come in with money, I can bring another person in with money, and blah, 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 and then like early January, they sent me a text. I'm like, I read it. It's really good. Let's right. go and try to talk to this person, and that person was like, we shot the movie already. Right. <laughs> Oh, oh, (laughs) I guess I'm behind. (laughs) So I think one of the things besides... Go ahead.
2: Don't Go ahead. But I want to come back to that point where when you said the person, they finally read it. That'll come back up in the theme of what we're going to talk about (laughs) in a moment.
1: So uh, one of the really remarkable things and what I wanted to talk to you about on my podcast is that you do this incredible creativity and incredible writing
2: Mm.
1: while also managing a condition that you're going to have to define i'm I'm going to say what i think it is and if i say it wrong idiopathic hypersomnia right that's it i said it correctly and and what is the medical definition of idiopathic hypersomnia and then tell me what that looks like on you because what is different for you is it doesn't look like everybody else's and so they can't figure out what to do for you
2: right well uh idiopathic hypersomnia it's a neurological disorder and uh, it's primarily characterized by excessive daytime sleepiness, and it's really hard to diagnose, and um, there's really no cure for it, and there really hasn't been. Research is just starting with it, um, but the way I the way I would describe it is is that it's like someone would give you a Xanax right before you're about to do your show. Or someone is giving you Xanax throughout the day and you don't know it. So it's for me it feels like the feeling when you have the flu Mm. and you have that exhaustion Mm. and you're just your entire body is just um, exhausted. So what's happening to me is that one of the things is that I don't get, I'm unable to get restorative sleep. Mm. So I will, you know, I've had this for so long, you know, so I will go to bed at a certain time. I'll wake up at a certain time, um, but I will wake up exhausted. Now, is, go ahead. No, go ahead.
1: Is there no REM sleep happening in this?
2: I'm, I don't get any REM sleep. That's it
1: which people say is an impossibility that you can't live without getting REM sleep, but you're a proof that it's not an impossibility.
2: It, I guess anything is possible. (laughs) So, yeah. So, you know, I'm going through these cycles and I'm in the REM sleep part. Um, it's just all out of whack and they can't, you know, I've had to take, um, sleep study test, and, um, uh, what's happening, part of what's happening is that there's a stimuli that's happening in my brain that for most people, you may get like five stimuli um, during the course of your sleep, and mine will be like 100 stimuli. So like, it's, imagine like a little flashlight going off in your brain mm-hmm. like 100 times. Waking you up. So waking you up. But I'm still, it, it appears that I'm asleep, but I'm not in a deep enough sleep to get restorative sleep. So historically what has happened is is that I've, with this disorder, you usually get it um, in your tweens, like around 12,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: 13. So I recall it beginning during that period. And I would always wonder, you know, I would go to the doctors, they would check me out, and physically I've always been in um, good health. So they couldn't find out what why I was having this fatigue problem all the time. And so I would I have recollections of of each stage of my life thinking, well, how am I gonna get through high school because I can't, I'm too I'm so tired? Or how am I gonna make it through college because I can't stay awake? And then, you know, coming to California was like, How am I going to work because I'm so I, I have this fatigue it's just it's just a deep deep fatigue and it would kind of ebb and flow mm-hmm. it wasn't it was it could be like low and then it could be really bad where i would have like slurred speech and i just couldn't really function very well my cognitive ability was off um but there would always be um i always was able to kind of manage it um, well
1: i think you beyond managed it i think that what you're describing, people would have a hard time believing such a thing is possible because you, you not only got through high school, you got through college, you then went on and got a degree. You're a psychologist as well, right?
2: Well, I have a, I majored in psychology because I wanted to understand what was happening to me from that. Because you know, you go through all these stages and you 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 meet with people and they go, oh well, I'm a psychologist listening to what you're saying, I think you're depressed, (laughs) or I'm an acupuncturist and uh, you need acupuncture, or I am a foot doctor. And I think if you got your feet worked on, that would cure the problem. So whoever you go to, they're going to suggest that what I'm doing is going to make a difference and that's going to make you better. Mm. And so uh, there was a period where, you know, it becomes very depressing because you're so exhausted uh, through everything and um so I went through therapy and the therapist that I was working with was like, Oh, you would make a really good therapist. And I was like, I really don't feel like listening to other people's problems. I'm too tired. <laughs> I really don't. And I think people tell me their problems because I'm so tired I can't interrupt. <laughs> so You just um, like you just like interrupt.
1: exhausted and you're just listening and they just think you're the I'm best listener in yeah, the world.
2: Will this stop? So, uh, uh, so I'll remember I did... that the
1: next time I'm telling you my problems.
2: <laughs> no, I, I'm fully alert and aware of all your.
0: <sighs> it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?
2: Um, No, but I do. I think part of it, too, is that I really do tune in. And I do have this ability to kind of like take in people's stuff. And I think that's what he was tuning in as well. So um, and I really do kind of process it in a different way. And everybody isn't always prepared to kind of hear what I kind of put out. Like, I think if I was doing therapy, like sessions would be like, you would just have one session. That's all you would really need. (laughs) Because I'd be like, this is your problem, and you can just pay with credit card. (laughs) And I used to, like, I used to do that a lot, and I would, like, and people would, like, stop talking to me. Because it was, like, I would just hone right into what the issue was, and they would be, like, how dare you tell me the truth about who I really am. And, uh... (laughs) That would get me in a lot. So I, I really had to kind of like control and like stop doing that. And that's not what therapy is anyway. You know, therapy is a whole different different process. Yeah, it's a relationship um,
1: and, and people want it to last a long you're time. Not supposed,
2: you're not supposed to tell the person, this is what your problem is. This is what you're supposed to do, which is what a lot of people want, even though they're going to ignore it when you tell them. Um, It's really getting people to come to that conclusion themselves.
1: It's so boring though. Like when you could look at so somebody boring. and you can see exactly what's wrong and now you got to uh, wait for them to catch up with you.
2: <laughs> yeah. And it, and sometimes they don't want to. It's not, you know, they're not ready to catch up.
1: I think that's the same so. thing you ex- I experienced as a, as a teacher is that often I can, I can look at a student, I can see what the block is to their creativity. I can see the power they have. I can even get them to have an experience of it in the moment. But if they psychologically can't have that then they can't right. even believe the reality of an experience that everyone else in the room can say we saw that we know that you know
2: right right and that's so disheartening for me to kind of um experience that because so often I see the potential the like amazing potential and situations or people or um you know, the opportunity, and people can't see it for themselves. Right. And so no matter what you're trying to do to push or pull or to get them there, they just, they're just they just not ready to kind of see it. So I really try to pull back on doing that. And, uh, you know, if I can be supportive in a different way, um, that I, I try to do that, but uh, I, I just can't get so wrapped up into people being stuck. And I think the theme of being stuck is like something that I use in my writing often, a the theme that I use a lot. The idea of just kind of being uh, what gets us stuck and unable to kind of move out of that spot.
1: Well, have you, you thought know. about that in terms of your not getting restorative sleep? And is there some metaphorical, psychological thing behind this theme of the stuckness of the, you know, of the wakefulness and the exhaustion? Have Has that come up for you?
2: You know, it, well, it has. It has, because sometimes it feels like, well, I am in uh, purgatory. It feels like purgatory because it's it's trying to figure out Um, Like I've had a full cycle loop uh, this past year with um, deciding to uh, uh, step away from my job. I'm going to take a medical leave and really focus on I have to get better. Like I want to figure out where I am with this disorder and get better. And then I ended up spending a year going to see like a lesion of like doctors and specialists. And by the end of that year, I realized, I think what I knew all along is that you really have to um, one, be an advocate for yourself. You have to know your own body. You have to kind of stay grounded in um, like your truth. And what's happening to you, because you're going to I, – I went to so many specialists, and everybody had a different Be specific. Tell really, us a
1: story, because, I mean, I know some of these stories. so.
2: Okay. <clears throat> so, um, uh, in 2018, I – like I said, I've had this since I was about 12, and so it feels like you have the flu, because you're just so exhausted.
1: And nobody saw it, It's like, like Epstein-Barr
2: or – so over the years, you know, there have been all of these illnesses related to fatigue that they've kind of put upon me. Like you have Epstein-Barr, you have chronic fatigue syndrome, you have you're depressed, you're this or whatever. And so but there was no kind of solution for it. You know, sometimes they would put me on antidepressant and, you know, I was really able to discern between a depressing situation and being chronically depressed. Mm hmm and they're two you know they can be two separate things but you no know, no one is listening to that when you're telling them that in in a in a in a, in a, in a session so um, i finally decided you know work was becoming i wasn't able to manage work that well and i i was going to take off time and um, and when you say you I can't had manage dying, it, what
1: was happening that you couldn't manage because you've you've gone is to that, college well what,
2: well what happens is is that in 2015 i was diagnosed with idiopathic hypersomnia and i was just so happy and relieved that there was a name for it that i was like i was like i don't i don't care what now that there's a name i don't care what it's called there's a name for it and my doctor was like and you can take this stimulant called adderall and so i'm like oh my gosh there's a pill that you can take and you feel now up until that point everyone else had given me sedatives Mm. to try to get me to sleep. And that didn't work. So I could take like three Ambien or any type of sedative and it just didn't, it didn't keep me, it didn't put me in a deep enough sleep to get rest.
3: Mm.
2: And then the next day I would feel even groggier because I had all those sedatives in my system. Mm. So this was the first person that the doctor, he was a sleep specialist, he was a pulmonologist. And he said, you have this disorder called IH. It's really severe. And I'm going to put you on Adderall as a um, a stimulant. There is no specific treatment for IH, but we're going to treat it similar to people who have narcolepsy. So I started on Adderall and it was like the time for the first time, like the, the fog was gone mm. and it was like clarity. And I had like all of this energy mental energy and so i remember like organizing the closet (laughs) and like putting like labels on boxes and you know everything was in alphabetical order and just going through everything i was like i have all this and as time went on what happens is is that the efficacy of the drug wears off and you have to take more for it to work Mm. but meantime i'm still not getting any sleep so I'm going, 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 going. And it was like, my routine was I lived near the Rose Bowl at that time. So I would get up, I would walk our dog around the Rose Bowl. I would get up, I would go to uh, to the gym. I would go work my eight hours. I would come back. I would work, walk the dog. And mentally my mind was just saying, just go, 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 go. But my body was not getting any rest. And then, so then I had to increase the Adderall more. And, uh, Still not getting any sleep. So then my doctor put me on something called sodioxibate, which um, is also for people who have narcolepsy. And that is what was known as the date rape drug. So I was, I had to take that in order to try to go to sleep. But, you know, I was then going, getting in my car in the morning and having to drive to work to Burbank. So, um, and, and it still wasn't, I still wasn't feeling rested. So I got off the sodium oxidate and I was taking the maximum dose of the Adderall to kind of um, just get through.
1: Maximum based on what? I mean, like there's just some
2: rule well, that there's says the they don't let you take any more. Like well, right. Well, you're not supposed to take more than 60 milligrams. Because
1: what happens? Nap- What's the risk?
2: Well, you know, first of all, it's, it's not specifically for people who have IH. So it's very addictive and um, I don't really know why I do know people I, I am hearing now of people who have taken who have had to take higher doses mm-hmm. and because mine is so extreme my doctor suggested that I take a higher dose um, but I really didn't want to do that um, because what would happen is is that first of all you know now that I'm so awake with this drug everything is getting on my nerves. <laughs> like i am seeing all of the crazy shit that people are doing and i'm calling them out on it like it's like it's like i'm awake for the first time and have energy to kind of tell people this is like this is not reality this is crazy (laughs) so that didn't work well at work that didn't work well around friends and probably my husband my spouse my husband and so, but it was like the truth. It was like for the first time it was like this like this is like you're crazy. This is not true. Stop lying. And uh, I think that's what I wrote dead weight out of. It's just like the the acts of bad faith and people just being so just saying anything to you and just expecting you to kind of like go along with it. And I just my mind just wouldn't let me do it.
1: I think I live so. there. <laughs> right? I <don't> know, yeah. <laughs> I kind of just lived there.
2: <laughs> I did not live there. I had not visited that place before, and uh, I was not welcome there. You did not want to have.
1: <laughs> I'm not welcome there, but I can't get out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I did what. Um, and what would happen is, is that um, I would start getting like body spasms, um, like muscle spasms, and um, you, facial like seizures. Ch- No, they weren't seizures. It was like if I would lay down, like my, my leg would just go into spasms. Or if um, I was awakened suddenly, my body would, like my left side would go into spasms. And it's, I I mean, I I would imagine like, it's like taking a, a lot of caffeine, you know, where you're, where you have that jittery feeling.
1: Did you ever try just doing high doses of caffeine? I mean, I have a lot of friends who just do high doses of caffeine.
2: Well, the thing about it is, is that the Adderall is such a high dose. It's like, it's so beyond what caffeine is. Got it. So I was on just this high dose of, and even now there are situations where, if I know it's going to be a, um, if I'm going to be out, or if I have to be out for a long period of time, I have to take more than the sixty milligrams. You know, because it's so it's it's so ineffective now. Like, only thing it really does now is just that it gives me some clarity. And it only works for like a, a certain amount of time.
1: So how much did so, you have to take to do this podcast with me?
2: <clears throat> um, I took 30 milligrams as soon as I woke up. And I had to time it because I it probably takes now about an hour for it to kind of kick in. And, um, uh, and then at a certain point, probably around 1130... Um, if I were to be going out somewhere, um, I would have to take another dose. And then later in the evening, I would probably have to try to take another dose to get. Now, the tricky part about it is, is that you know, I've done that and then totally not going to sleep for another 24 hours Oy. afterwards. <clears throat> so it's that strange kind of balance of what is it that I have to kind of accomplish? And it's so crazy because I. the other crazy thing it does is, is that you know i'll make a like i decide that i okay i have to do x and then i'll take the drug and it makes you so um obsessive that if i see like something else that needs to be done i'll have to do that and then i can't stop doing that until that's finished
1: so do you think that's the drug or that's you and the drug is bringing out something in you i mean I think I know some people who take Adderall and it doesn't make them creative like you are or like the way you talk about cleaning. They It doesn't do that to them.
2: Um, you know, if I don't take it, I could care less. You know, it, it's just like, I just don't have the energy to, um, you know, I do like, the, you know, I, I, I do like being creative. I do like things being, I don't think it's, I, I would say, no, it's not the drug. I feel like the drug just makes me, alert and awake enough to, um, to try to get those things done, you know? And I, you know, I do recall like with my writing, it's, it's been a thing where it's just like, it's almost like for my sanity. Mm -hmm. And so I've had really bad bouts of this and just been in bed at a, with my laptop, just typing stuff up and just writing, you know, um, because that's all, you know, really just kind of propped up in bed, um, writing.
1: Right. But you talk um, about this fog. Are you saying that when, you know, I mean, I've read a lot of your writing. You're a, I'm a brilliant writer. Are you writing on Adderall? Or are you writing from the fog, too? This is Tanya Pinkins, and that was part one of my conversation with Blaine Timor, who's a playwright who is managing idiopathic hypersomnia.